This is a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. I don't know if anybody wastes time on the internet. I'm sure nobody. I'm sure I'm alone in this tragic endeavour. Um, but one of the things that I do is I get, I get down these rabbit warrens and uh, for this mindless uh, entertainment, uh, and some of the times uh, those little avenues have been around uh, memes or, or something like that. Uh, so I don't know if you've ever Googled, you know, the world's most useless inventions and, and things like that and see what people have created and shake your head in amusement and amazement that humans, with all our advancement, this is where we're at. Um, but I did run down the rabbit hole uh, the other day of uh, some useless memes. So there's a series of memes throughout the internet that go like this. If you ever feel useless, just remember. Uh, And there's pictures that accompany it. So if you ever feel useless, just remember that someone is a lifeguard at the Olympics swimming pool. Um, Now, I haven't got the version of this where it like keeps zooming in on his face, but uh, that that is someone who's sitting there questioning. "Uh, I'm not sure this is the most useful, um, most useful thing I could do with my time. Uh, If you ever feel useless, just remember that Bing, which is a search engine, Bing's top searched word is Google. (laughs) Ouch. (laughs) Um, I love this one too. If you ever feel useless, just take a moment to remember Jason Momoa's bodyguards. Uh, If you are walking down the street and you see those three guys walking towards you, who are you least likely to want to mess with, right? The guy who is being guarded uh, in that photo. And of course, there was a whole bunch of other hilarious photos uh, that people were able to uh, post uh, from around the world. Sign not in use. Uh, Good luck getting the fire hydrant out of that one. (laughs) I don't even know, but someone literally has made that creation there in in the UK. Um, Here's a few more uh, just to trigger uh, any architects construction builders uh, in our midst. (laughs) If you ever feel useless, just remember. (laughs) Look, I love the book of James because it's anything but useless. Uh, It is filled with practical Christian teaching that equips us, that is useful for the day-to-day ways that we live. It's, It's like a Christian playbook on how to live. But I'm also challenged if I'm honest, deeply challenged. I'm sometimes made to feel uncomfortable by the book of James because he does not let me, he does not let us off the hook. And that's particularly true of our passage today. You see, James would add to those lists of things that are useless the faith of the person that doesn't let it be accompanied by work. The religion of the Christian whose faith makes no difference whatsoever to the way that they live. Ouch. But we have to read James properly. We have to read James in context. Uh, He is writing to people who already know and love Jesus. And that's clear all throughout the the letter. He constantly refers to my brothers and sisters, my my beloved brothers and sisters last week, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus. So he's writing to those who have experienced grace who have experienced mercy, who are restored by God, who know what it is to be redeemed and forgiven, people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. And he's not writing to tell them that they need to do or behave in a certain way in order to experience those things, in order to achieve them, in order to have those things. No, he's writing to them to live out what they've already received 
to live out of what they've already experienced, to let their faith outwork itself, to let their faith overflow into behavior. And so what James does is he asks his readers, he asks us very confrontingly the question, does following Jesus make a difference in your life? Is following Jesus making a difference in your life? And that is a good question. There's a really worthwhile question for us to meditate on, to reflect on, to take before God and in genuine self-reflection ask ourselves, is following Jesus making a difference? Well, I reckon I'm in good company in this room, filled with a whole bunch of people who actually know that Jesus is and has been and will continue to make a difference in their lives. So I'd love it if we just took uh, uh, 30 90 seconds, 90 seconds to turn to the people around you, and I'd love you to share what are some of the practical differences that you can see in your life because you follow Jesus. And if you're here this morning and you don't yet follow Jesus, you can think about, well, what kind of differences would I expect that to make in my life if I put my faith and trust in Jesus? What difference does following Jesus make in your life? Just turn to the person around you, share some of the practical ways that you see evidence of that in your life. All right, I'm going to be uh, true to my word. That was 90 seconds. Uh, hopefully at home you're watching with someone who were able to consider that question as well. Uh, what difference does following Jesus make in our lives? A few people just brave enough to actually just yell out what they were sharing, what they were discussing. Oh, interactive church. Oh, Scary. Less judgmental. In fact, we were looking at that just yeah, in James, earlier in James chapter 2. Perfect. Yep. Having a purpose in life. Yeah, following Jesus brings us purpose and clarity around what we're here for. Love that. Wouldn't want to be without him. Amen. Amen. Makes all the difference, right? Yeah. Yeah, we get to experience peace. Uh, are you talking about eternal future or both? Absolutely. Experiencing peace for now and for all time. Yeah, what about a few more? Absolutely. How we steward what we have. Yep, our time, our resources, our money. Yep. Concern for the other. Yep, we see people through a different lens and we move with compassion because Jesus makes a difference in our lives. Thank you, Graham. Miraculous healing. Yeah, yeah. We have faith to pray for and pursue and see God answering our prayers. Ooh, that's a big difference. One more, just because I'm greedy. Absolutely. If you didn't hear that, he, he helps us to show mercy and kindness to others because of the love that we ourselves have experienced. Perfect, perfect, perfect. You know, I think in my life, faith has made an incredible difference over the years. I think differently. I behave differently. I am a different person. Quite genuinely, my character has shifted and changed as I've followed Jesus throughout the year and invited the work of the Holy Spirit to continue to shape and to form me and to transform me. Does Jesus, following Jesus, make a difference? Absolutely. And yet in the same breath, I recognize that I don't always do that consistently. And I certainly don't always do that perfectly. 
In fact, there are some areas of my life where I'm like, Jesus is making a great difference in that area, but over here, man, I know that I still have some work to do. And that's why I think I personally, and, and maybe you can resonate with this, I need a book like James. I need a passage that we're about to read because it confronts me and it causes me to wake up from my slumber. It kind of, kind of shakes me from my complacency and my apathy and invites me deeper in my walk with Jesus, in my experience of Jesus, uh, in my desire to actually have my life more greatly reflect the great truth that I am his and that I love him and I follow him. And so if you have your Bibles, we are in the back half of James chapter 2 today. And James quite confrontingly starts this section by just saying, well, what good is it? What use is it? The NASB translates that. Old translations. How is it profitable? What's the point, my brothers and sisters, speaking to Christians, if somebody claims to have faith but has no deeds? Uh, So someone gives lip service to the truth that they have put their faith in Jesus. Someone professes, tries to let other people know that they have faith in Jesus but has no change, behavioural. There's no difference in the way that they're actually living. And James asks, and this is very important, a rhetorical question next designed to challenge. Not a teaching point, a rhetorical question designed to challenge. He says, can such faith save them? And he quickly goes on. He goes, hey, hey, let me show you what I mean by this. And he shares a negative hypothetical situation which is then going to contrast with a positive biblical example uh, in a few verses later. James says, think about it this way. Suppose a brother or sister, so so we're talking about a Christian, maybe someone from the church. Imagine someone from your church is without clothes and without daily food. They're poor. They're in a really hard bind. You know, the kind of poor where you don't know where your next meal is coming from or even when your next meal is going to be. You got that picture? So imagine there's a brother or sister in your church without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, thoughts and prayers are with you, go in peace, shalom, bless you, hope you feel warm and well-fed, but does nothing to actually meet their physical needs, what good is that? Let's modernise that for our day so that we can connect with it a little bit better. So we all know interest rates have gone up. Things are getting a bit tight at home. Inflation is starting to hit a bunch of us. And so maybe you go, you know what, I need a few more days' work. And you line up this interview. This is going to be great. I'm going to be able to get this job. I'm going to be able to provide for my family. This is going to be amazing. You're dressed. You're ready for it. Uh, And you have a car crash right outside Narara Valley Baptist Church. Mm, Terrible, right? Your car's a write-off. You can't get to the interview. And your phone's got broken in that. And and it doesn't work. And so you're, you're close to church. So you duck in to see the pastoral team. It's Wednesday. We're all there. You walk into the doors and you're visibly distressed. You're clearly upset. You're like, oh my goodness, I can't get to this interview that I really wanted to get to and I can't even call ahead and let the person interviewing me know that I can't make it on time. Now, can you imagine a scenario where the pastoral team all gather around you and say, that is so terrible. We're so sorry to hear that. That is no good. No, that is is no good at all. And then someone pipes up and says, Thank you so much for coming in and sharing what's happening for you. May God bless you. Really hope you're able to get in contact with a person who was supposed to be interviewing you and are able to get there or to get home. We'll be praying for you during the week. And then went back to work. Can you imagine it? What good 
is that? What gain is there in that? What is the point of doing that? And of course, no, we'd reach into our pockets and say, call them on our phone, let's grab our keys, let's, let's give you a lift. And so I think James is trying to just strive home this point, and I actually think it's even worse that the person's identified their need, right? Someone has identified he's a person's in need, has acknowledged that they have a need, and then has just given this empty religious platitude, basically, bless you, hope it all works out well for you. And, and so he asks us then the question, well, what good is that? And, and I think for us, there should be something that wants to rise up within us to shout, oh, that's no good, that, that's no good at all. We're angry about that. We're frustrated about that. That lacks a form of integrity. It's a kind of Christian hypocrisy. That's not how it's supposed to be. And James agrees and goes, no, that's not supposed how, how it's supposed to be, but in the same way. Uh-oh. <laughs> in the same way. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Faith, if it's like a precious gem that you just go and you put in the safe in your house and lock it up, or something that you sort of frame behind a glass, whatever that is called, and put it on the wall in your study, faith that's never let out to make an impact, to make a difference, to shape and change us, that kind of faith is lifeless, impotent. It's no good. It's useless. Give us ears to hear this morning, Lord. I grew up and I continue to consider myself deeply evangelical. And I'm sure I'm not alone in that. I'm sure there's many in this room who would sort of identify themselves as that sort of category of Christian. And there's a little bit of a part of me, and maybe there's a little bit of a part of you, that gets a little bit nervous, and my hand starts twitching, and it starts heading towards my heresy bell, ready to ring it, and just looking at James going, what exactly do you mean by what you're saying here? What exactly do you mean by dead? What are we talking about here, James? Ephesians chapter 2. This is always important. This is such key to who we are and how we understand ourselves. For it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Uh, this is one of the foundational beliefs that we have about the good news message of Jesus. It's that we don't need to do certain things. We don't need to act in a certain way, think in a certain way, behave in a certain way in order to be saved, in order to be right with God. But, by the same token, we are also created to do good works. But this is the overflow. This is the outworking of our faith, not the necessary antecedent to our faith. Does this make sense? And so Dr. Constable, I love it here, he just clarifies this <clears throat> in his commentary on the book of James. He says, The key to understanding this passage is a correct understanding of what dead faith is. James is using the word dead, he uses it twice, as a synonym for useless, which he uses three times. He was not saying that the person with dead faith has no faith, that he is unsaved. No, he meant that the person with dead faith has saving faith, but is not living by faith now. His faith has no vital effect on the way he presently lives. He's not trusting and obeying God day to day. Useless means of no practical value. It does not mean 
non-existent. If I had a home gym in my garage that I never used, this is not a confession, this is a hypothetical. <laughs> it's not a confession yet. Uh, I still would own a home gym. I still have the potential to use the home gym. I still have the ability to enjoy the benefits that such a home gym would give to my physical health and physical stature. But if it is left unused in the garage, it has no practical value to me. In the same way, James is saying, those who don't live out their faith or who don't let their faith overflow into the way that they live have a faith that is, and this is confronting, and it's designed to be confronting, useless, of no practical value. You know, I've been following Jesus for over a quarter of a century. I haven't always been doing that perfectly. In fact, I've never been doing it perfectly, but at times I've done it better than at other times. And there have been patches in there, a couple in particular, where I would describe my faith this way. I still had a faith. I still had a belief in God. I mean, goodness gracious, I've experienced so much and seen so much of the goodness of God in my life and experienced the mercy and forgiveness of Jesus there. I don't think I'll ever be able to deny faith. But there were some years there where I did not let it move me, where I did not live it out, where my belief ended up being tucked away in a dark recess of my belief system, of my worldview, and wasn't allowed out. I didn't do the things that somebody who follows Jesus would normally do. Didn't read my Bible, didn't pray, didn't serve, didn't love. wasn't exhibiting the fruits of the Spirit. I remember getting a job in one of those years. And my life is such that it's, it's hard not for it to come out in conversation at some point that I'm clearly a Christian. And I remember working this secular job and getting asked this question where I basically had to say that I was and being so embarrassed, knowing that my life did not speak um, not that there was any great uh, out of alignment with this particular person, so I didn't need that, that sort of conviction, but just this sense of like, oh, if this is true, if Jesus is real, if I follow him, if I have faith in him, what is going on in my life? I never want to go back to that place. I never want to go back to that life. I never want to go back to that experience. Not only because it was out of step with what God wants for me, but I got robbed of the real full life that is found in following Jesus. Because I know what the alternative is. I know what it is to actually experience God's work in my life, to see visible evidence of the ways that he's changing and shaping me and transforming me, to have the fun and the adventure, the kingdom adventure of joining in with what God is doing in me and through me in the world around me. I, I tell you, following Jesus is wonderful. It is amazing. It is life-giving. It is hope-bringing, and it is joy-bringing, and it is deeply fulfilling in a way that saying, I believe, but I'm not going to do anything, Ugh, 
worlds apart, worlds apart. And I reckon if we broke off into groups and you were able to share some of your story, you'd be able to identify and share and connect with the exact same thing. Following Jesus does make a difference in our life, a good difference, a glorious difference, one that we love, that we relish. And there are times where we need the hard word to be like, so come on, let it make a difference. You know, my heart for you, my heart for myself, is that Jesus would make an incredible difference in our lives. And I feel like James stands millennia ago yelling across the world and across time to say, absolutely, yes, let faith outwork itself in your life. Don't settle. Don't retreat to complacency. Don't live out of a place of apathy. Don't reduce faith to this thing that you hold in your mind and your heart, this hope for eternal future. But allow the life-giving presence of God in and allow it to work in and through you. Does this make sense? Yeah. So that's the negative hypothetical. Uh, He'll go on to talk about uh, the the positive biblical example in both Abraham and Rahab. Uh, And in, in picking these two biblical characters, he's really just going the whole breadth of human history. So he's kind of going, well, here you've got Abraham. He's this respected Jew of Jews. He fills our Old Testament um, pages, like what an amazing character, all the way down to Rahab, who's got this tiny portion of Scripture, who who was a foreigner, uh, not a sort of a native Jew, who is a woman of of disrepute as opposed to uh, kind of the man of, of great respect. And it's like James is saying, from Abraham all the way to Rahab and all the way back, this is what it means just to have normal, normal biblical faith. Uh, It's faith that's lived out. It's faith that finds expression in action. And in both cases, you can uh, read about it uh, a little bit later. In both cases, Abraham and Rahab, they have pre-existing faith. That's the point. The point is that their actions don't save them. The point is not that it was when they acted that they suddenly gained or got faith. In both cases, they had already placed their faith um, in their trust in Yahweh, the old covenant God. And, and this is seen really clearly in the example of Abraham, where the event that James references uh, and the quote that he quotes are chapters apart. The faith comes before, Genesis chapter 15, the action, Genesis chapter 22. Abraham believed God, put his faith in God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And then we see chapters later what it looks like to have saving faith, what it looks like to put your faith and trust in God. Incredible act of courage and obedience, and that story needs a sermon on its, on its own, a sacrifice, um, the potential to sacrifice even your own son. But I want to draw your attention to this verse in verse 22. Yet we see that his faith and his actions were working together. They were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. Some translations will have that. Was perfected by what he did. There's a little meaning in the Greek word there of was made mature by what he did. His faith and his actions were working together. It was faith that he was credited with righteousness. But that faith credited as righteousness outworked itself as right living and right behaviour, working together, the positive example. You know, I was chatting to uh, two amazing women during the week. Uh, 
I know there's a lot of us who have been joining the Life in the Spirit course, and I really hope and I trust and I pray that that's been stirring up a whole bunch of things. One of the things we do every Wednesday night or every session is we actually spend some time in worship because we recognize that our heart engagement with God is, is so important. Uh, and so we've had kind of uh, Vic and Annette, they've been coming up and they've been leading us in a time of worship. They're not getting paid for this. Um, there's no ongoing kind of connection with our church. This is just, this is one of the ways that their faith expresses itself and outworks itself in the service of others and their heart to see other people genuinely and deeply engage with God. And so we were just having a, an, an idle, informal conversation um, before this Wednesday night uh, and they just dropped in out of nowhere that they'd spent the day before, both of them, fasting and praying for us. Fasting and praying for the time of worship that they were about to lead us into. And then they'd met up the night before and had spent time in person together praying for us. I was just so deeply moved and deeply impacted at their faith outworking itself in this way. That it wasn't something that was stuck on a shelf, wasn't something that was filed away under theology in their worldview, but he was a very real and practical outworking of their faith and their trust in Jesus, that Jesus makes all the difference, and their desire that Jesus would make all the difference to us. And I just asked one of them, okay, cool, so how are you going at the moment? A broad, general question. Um, And she just said this, oh man, and her face lit up, I feel like I'm experiencing personal revival at the moment. What a beautiful saying. I want to always feel like I'm experiencing personal revival. I want our team to lead from a place of experiencing personal revival. I would love it if across our church we were experiencing personal renewal and revival as each day we are seeing the ways that God is at work. That faith wouldn't be a dry, crusty, stale obligation but a life-giving, life-changing relationship with the creator of the universe who loved us and gave himself for us in order to redeem us for his own. That's the kind of God that we have. That's the kind of life that we're invited into. And I think that's the kind of life that James is jumping up and down and shouting and stamping his feet saying, this is your inheritance as a child of God. Do not shy away from it. Faith without deeds, come on. Where's the fun in that? (laughs) Where's the life in that? Where's the joy in that? Where's the kingdom adventure in that? What is the point of that? No, let your faith outwork itself. Let your faith overflow into the way that you believe, your attitudes, your priorities in a whole bunch of ways. You know, I'm going to invite the the band um, back up. Uh, I was thinking during the week of just how tempting it is just how easy it would be um, to open up this scripture and want to try and wrap us all up in, in cotton wool <laughs> and add a thousand disclaimers and keep preaching about or focusing only on the love of God and the mercy of God and the grace of Jesus, which is true and we preach that um, throughout the year. But I want to in, uh, invite you to consider what is James's intent in writing these words in our scriptures? What is the impact that he hopes it will have on those who read them? James does not want people to read these words and question their salvation. James is not expecting that the impact of these words would that people would be questioning the sincerity or the genuineness of their faith. 
James is not writing to his beloved Christians, that's how he's describing them throughout this book, in order that they would feel shame and accusation and, and condemnation. No, no, he's writing this with the heart intent of a pastor to impact their lives practically. That they would actually kind of oh, get a little bit of a kick up the backside, light the fire again and stoke the fires of their flames for their love for Jesus and the way that that outworks itself in their lives. I've been around church for a long, long, long time and I know how easy it is for our faith to kind of fall into that pattern where things are a little bit easy and a little bit comfortable and a little bit complacent. This morning as we sing this song of response, I just pray and I invite you, man, use this as a recommitment time before the Lord. Use this as a reflection time before the Lord to actually go, you know what? There's some areas of my life, God, where I know I'm not letting my faith in you make a difference. When I know and I've experienced that following you, Jesus, makes all the difference in the world. Some great words for us to think on and to sing together. I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned to the one who gave it all. To you, Lord, I surrender. Give him our lives. Give him our hearts. Does Jesus make a difference? Absolutely. Do we want him to make a difference in our lives? You bet. Is faith without deeds useless? You can theologize about that during the week. (laughs) But the reality is, faith in Jesus does make a difference. So let it outwork itself in your life. Let it overflow in your life. Let our hearts and our lives and our profession of faith all be in alignment to God be the glory. This has been a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. To continue the conversation, we invite you to join us Sundays at 9.30am and 5pm or on our website at www.nvbc.info.